get our Bibles out this morning as the children go to child ministry. We're in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, second part of the miracle where Jesus heals this crippled man at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, we're going to read verses 7 through 15 in just a moment, and then we're going to hop right into part 2. Uh, remember, the setup for this miracle is that this man is laying there. He's been, uh, he's been sick for 30-plus years. He has no hope of getting a miracle. Remember, that pool was a place where miracles took place. The angels would come down, stir the pool up, and the first one in would get healed. But there was no participation trophies. You either were number one or you lost. Remember how it was like that when some of us were growing up? Yeah. Well, apparently, if you didn't make it in first, you didn't get healed. And this guy had been there a long time. He'd been sick a long time. Uh, he couldn't make it in first. And Jesus picks him out of the crowd. He has a divine appointment with him. He, he goes through all of those people, passes all of them, and he finds this man because it was his day to experience the goodness of God in his life. Father, we thank you for John 5. We thank you for the miracles of Jesus we thank you that you are a miracle-working God, and we can believe you to do miracles in our lives. You still heal the sick. You still put together broken bodies. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Cancer must bow. Uh, diabetes must bow. Heart disease must bow. Father, we believe your word that says by his stripes we are healed, that healing is the children's bread. Father, stir up our faith to believe for your miraculous visitation in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches. You're a God of miracles. Stretch our faith today, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 5, starting in verse 7. The sick man answered him. Now remember, we left off where Jesus says, Do you want to be healed? Do you wish to get well? What a, what a question to answer a guy who's been sick for 38 years, who's been laying in the hot sun by the pool underneath the portico there. Jesus asked the question, do you want to be made well? And it's a, a legitimate question because for many reasons, people don't want to be delivered. They don't want to be healed. They want to stay in the condition they're in. This is the sick man's answer. He says in verse 7, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your bed, and walk. Immediately, the man became well and picked up his bed and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to this man who, who is cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your own bed. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your bed and walk. They said to him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your bed and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. So a great miracle, uh, quite a different response from every different part of the crowd here. Uh, last week, we talked about how the guy got here, the question Jesus asked him. Now, he starts off with his answer here. 
in verse 7. I want you to see uh, everything that happens from verse 7 to verse 15 is all about help. In fact, on the count of three, I want you to say nice and clear, help. One, two, three. Now, that was just the way first service did it. Now, I want you to say it like you actually need help right now. One, two, three. That's, that's it. Amen. Sometimes you're like, could you help me? And sometimes you're like, help! You know, help is something that all of us need. This man needed help, and he had no help. In his description here in verse 7, he's like, you know, Jesus, yeah, I want to be made well, but here's my dilemma. You know, I have no one to help me. And remember, he's crippled. And remember, it was the first one in. So there's a race when the water gets stirred. And he's saying, Jesus, I'm not winning the race, and there's no one here to help me. Think about what it would take if that was your loved one there. You know, if it was someone you loved that you, you don't know when the water's going to get stirred. So you got to sit there with them all the time until it happens and then hope that you beat the rush into the water. It's a pretty dire situation for this guy, but it was the only hope he had. And he had some measure of faith, but he says to Jesus, you know, his response, uh, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. Uh, while I am coming, another steps down before me. So he needed help, but he had no help. Now, a lot of people might look at that and think like, you know, well, that's just an excuse. And we know by now that making excuses never seems to work out in Scripture, does it? When God comes to us with something and we try to make excuses, it's a, it's a losing battle. Excuses never work. Uh, there was a lawyer and a statesman named Daniel Webster, famous guy, a powerful orator, uh, not the guy who wrote the Webster's Dictionary, that was Noah, but Daniel, he had evidence, even as a young child, of a quick wit, a quick mind, and a way with words. One day, Daniel's father, who had left home for a long time, left Daniel and his brother Ezekiel a, spe a specific bunch of chores that they had to do before he returned. When their father came home, none of the chores had been done, much less started. So the father questioned his boys. He said, Ezekiel, what have you been doing all this time that I was gone? There was a long pause, and Ezekiel said, I was doing nothing. His father's voice boomed. Daniel, what were you doing all this time when I was gone? And Daniel said, I was helping Ezekiel. <laughs> now, ex ex excuses can be creative. They can be humorous. They can even sometimes seem half legitimate. But they never answer the question. They never solve the issue. What were you doing? Well, we were doing nothing. Well, while he was doing nothing, what were you doing? I was helping him doing nothing. Creative, comical, but not helpful, not solving the issue. You know those two boys got in trouble. And even if their father was laughing, I, I've had to discipline my kids sometimes, and I'm, I'm dying laughing. I, by the time it was all done, Kim had to spank all three of us. So excuses never seem to really work out. In this man's case, this was really not an excuse. It was an explanation. This was the reality of his situation. Jesus, I'm not making an excuse. Yeah, I haven't answered your question about whether I want to be healed or not, but I'm telling you, I got this situation here where I need help, and I don't have any help. Now, please notice, Jesus didn't ask him what his situation was. And again, we always like to give Jesus all the details that he's missing, don't we? Hey, Jesus, what you need to know here, let me clue you into the fact of the, what's going on in my reality. Jesus didn't ask him for a rundown of his reality. 
Many times we come before the Lord and we want to tell him all the stuff that's going on and who didn't treat us right and how it was unfair and, and all of these things. And God is up in heaven like, I know all this. If you be quiet long enough, I'm going to tell you what you need to do to get free. He didn't ask for an explanation. He didn't ask for a rundown of his circumstances. He, he, he didn't ask for the guy's perception of his reality. He asked him, do you want to be healed? Now, here's a pro tip for you out there. Answer the question that Jesus asks, not the one that you want to answer. Amen? If the Holy Spirit's put his finger on an area of your life, answer the question. Answer the issue. Amen? We love tangents. We love deflection. We love to go in circles. We love to, some people, you, you try and help them, you get talking to them, and they want to talk about everything but the issue. Don't be like that with God. Amen? Answer the question. The, the guy really never answers the question. He needed help, but, you know, all, all he had was just an, an explanation of his reality. It wasn't an excuse, but it wasn't the answer to his problem. Now, everybody needs help, and we understand that. This guy needed it. He didn't have any. The second thing I want to point out is this. Jesus came to help. I thought you'd be more excited about that. <laughs> Jesus, Dan, Jesus came to help us. You know, he, he didn't come to just do his thing, go back to the Father, and, hey, guys, you're on your own. No. Luke 19.10 says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. His mission was to come help, amen? He, he came to help us, and boy, did he ever help us with the cross, amen? There was an issue that all of us dealt with. It was sin. We didn't have to do it. We were born into it. It came into our spiritual DNA through Adam. Jesus answered the issue of sin in our lives by breaking the power of it, that whosoever would believe in his name could be saved and have their relationship with the Father restored. <laughs> Jesus came to help. And Jesus came to help this guy. He, he, he specifically had a divine appointment with him. He parted the crowd. He passed a whole lot of other sick people just to connect with him because he was there to help. Now, the older I get, the more I realize it's wonderful to have the help of others. You know, you get to a place where you, you, you know how to do a lot of stuff, but you know, you, you, you need help. Anybody over 50? You know, thank God for my sons. They have endless energy. When they help me, it makes everything go easier. It's wonderful to have help. It's wonderful to have people come alongside of us and help us because at times all of us need help. In fact, I want to say something to you. You will never accomplish God's will and plan for your life all by yourself. You're going to need help. If you think as pastor, I'm fulfilling the vision of full gospel center, all that's in God's heart, all by my help, you're crazy. I got people all around me. I got Pastor Mike. I got Brother Fred. I got Sister Kenny. I got an army of people trying to make me, you know, make sense on Sunday morning. And I'm, th I'm thankful for that help, amen. You know, back in the day when I was young, you know, we had these pastors on TV and stuff, and they would always project to be a one-man show. And always got to peek behind the curtain and see, wow, you know, that was not the case at all. So give credit where credit is due. Give honor where honor is due. All of us are where we are in life because others helped us. Jesus is here to help. Now, there will be moments in your life where you, you cannot have victory in kingdom things without the help of others around you. In fact, Moses was 
leading the children of Israel and he had this battle, a literal war with the Amalekites. And we pick up in Exodus 17 where he needed the help of others for Israel to prevail. Listen to Exodus 17, 12 through 14. And so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So now they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword, Aaron and Hur holding up Moses' hands. It's a beautiful picture for us to see and get in our hearts that no matter who we are, how anointed we are, how much God is with us, there is nobody like Moses had a face-to-face relationship with God. God, why couldn't you just miraculously, supernatural, give him, you know, arm power to hold his hands up like just, you know, for days he couldn't put him down? No, because he wanted all of us to know that we need the help of others. He had Joshua on one side, her on the other, and the hands stayed up. He sat down, and they held him up, and Israel prevailed. Be careful, even though you need help, be careful who you let help you. Some people say they're there to help, but they're there to help themselves to what is not theirs. Come on, some of you look so serious. Yeah, we've, we've got to have discernment in who we let help us. You know, they, someone said the scariest words ever uttered were, hello, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Yeah, be careful who you let help you. Uh, but don't let fear and pride or bad theology cause you to reject the help that God sends. A common misunderstanding in our culture is this. God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, not in the Bible. People quote that like it's scripture. You know, God, you know, helps those who help themselves. First Deceptions 2.5. It's not in the Bible. In fact, as I look at this situation, God's helping somebody who's helpless. He's helping someone who had no help. He was helping someone who, who, you know, there was no help. He couldn't help himself. Come on, crippled, run faster. You know, beat your way. No. All of us are crippled by things in life. No matter how much we try to look together or pre- present ourselves, you know, Sunday morning all buffed up and showered and coloned and clothes that match and two of the same socks, you know, hey, this is, <laughs> this is the best I can do right here. But I need help. And you need help. Be careful who you let help you, but don't reject the help that God send you. You know, it's really childish. There are people who think, well, I'll do everything myself. You ever met somebody like that? I can do, I don't need anybody. I've heard people say like that out of frustration. I don't need anybody. I'll do it all myself. That's childish. What does a baby do when they get old enough to start doing some things by themselves? I do. I do. Mine. Me do. I do. Remember that? Your kids go through that phase. That's how a, that's how a person who's supposed to be spiritually mature is behaving when they're like, I'll do it all myself. Pride. Foolishness. You and I need help. Jesus came to help. The I can do it all myself attitude is counterproductive. What we see in John 5 is Jesus helping someone who is helpless. And oftentimes we have to admit our helplessness. God, I need you. I need help because I can't do it myself. 
And Jesus is there to help because that's why he came. Again, verse 8 and 9, Jesus uses the creative power of his words uh, to, to heal this man. Uh, he, he just basically speaks to the situation. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your bed and walk. Now, again, I, I like when Jesus does miracles and he uses his words. We understand words have power. Jesus spoke from a position of spiritual authority and so do we as the church. There is power in our words. And Jesus speaks and he's just very plain here. He doesn't quote scriptures. He doesn't plead with God. He doesn't tell God about, you know, how, you know, wonderful he is as a son. No, he just speaks from a position of authority in simple words. And, and I love, you know, the, the way he just uh, models that for us. When we pray for people, when we speak healing over others, we don't have to do spiritual gymnastics or quote volumes of scripture. I've been praying for people, listening to other people pray, and I'm just like, just shut up. Yeah, I said it in church. Just pray for me. But I'm like on and on and on and on. Even I think even the Holy Spirit got bored at some point because I felt him leave. And I'm like, just in Jesus' name, be healed. In Jesus' name, be free. Loose him in Jesus' name, amen? The power's in Jesus' name. It's a, you don't have to start speaking King James, for thou hast knowest what is you do with this. In the foot. People are goofy. Jesus is there to help. He just speaks simple words over this man. And it works healing into his situation. Rise up, take up your bed, on your way. I love it. So simple, so neat, so powerful. We can learn a lot from Jesus, the way he handles situations like this. The third thing I want to talk to you about help is this. Not everybody was happy about Jesus's help. You would think, you know, wow, what an awesome day. What an awesome minute. Guys, 38 years, he's sick. You know, he's healed instantly. He gets up. A crippled is now walking. You'd think, man, everybody's got to be excited about that, right? You would think so, but no. The religious crowd and their response is amazing. They're not like, oh, praise God, 38 years you're healed. Praise God, the kingdom of heaven has touched earth. Praise God, you know, this guy who was crippled is now uh, walking around. No, they're like, hey, you're breaking the rules. You can't do that on the Sabbath. Why, why are you, hey, crippled guy, what are you doing carrying your bed? These guys got to be kidding me. It never ceases to amaze me how people who are not part of the kingdom of God, who don't love Jesus, who despise Christians, can always find some nitpicky thing to say and to judge and to tear down and to say hypocrisy. You know, there are, there are people who, uh, you know, whether you agree with this or not, you know, there are evangelists and Christian ministries that have jet airplanes to fly, you know, their people around to do things. And for years, they would criticize, oh, these people using all this and stealing the money and having jets and living in luxury. You know what? Those same people used those jets recently to pull people out of Afghanistan to save them from being killed. Those same ministries. Oh, you know, how, how dare you? You should live in a hut with a, you know, all with, no, with a black and white TV and you should... Now they use those planes to literally save people from impending death, and nobody says anything. The media's quiet. The IRS doesn't want to investigate. I'm preaching, I'm preaching. <laughs> 
Always a judgment, always a nitpicky response, always a, yeah, but this. And it's the, it's the splinter and it misses the log. The religious crowd is not happy. You're breaking our rules. You're breaking the law. Now, understand something here. So the Jews were saying to this man that was cured, they're ignoring that. It is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your bed. That's really what you guys want to focus on. It's amazing to me. You know what? Jesus always had his critics. He always faced accusations. But categorically, people who have zero flexibility when it comes to God's law or man's law, they're going to find themselves doing and saying some really nonsensical things. This is what they're saying here is nonsensical. They're missing, you know, the point that healing has come. Now, Jesus actually answers his critics on issues like this. You say, why? Because all the time, whenever he did something, they'd criticize him. You know, in the New Testament, the disciples were criticized for shucking wheat during the Sabbath. Jesus was constantly criticized for healing people on the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, David was criticized for eating the bread that was consecrated to the priests. And in Mark 2, 23 through 28, Jesus answers his critics with all of those points. He says this, Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those who were with him, how they went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the shoe bread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord over the Sabbath. Now, this made them very happy when Jesus said this. They were like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what we wanted to hear. They go to correct. <laughs> they go to correct God. Some people have moralities and ideologies and opinions that are higher than God. And Jesus just answers them, look, You know, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It's supposed to be a time of rest and reflection and and connecting with God. It's not supposed to be a law used to bludgeon people and nitpick others. And he said, by the way, guys, I'm Lord over the Sabbath. And this infuriated them even more. To them, it was extreme blasphemy. But Jesus answers his critics here. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone likes to nitpick. These guys were missing the point. Jesus came to help, but not everybody was excited about his help. Now, it's situations in scripture like this when Jesus clashes with that religious crowd that speak to me and remind me that, you know what, it's so important for us to be gracious and merciful to others. Church, you and I should be gracious and merciful to others. Yeah, people in our church, right? Not just people in our church. Well, well, the people who think like us, right? No, not just people, people who are saved, right? No, we should be gracious and merciful to everyone because God is. Some of you look disappointed. Oh, you mean I can't be judgmental and nitpicky and fault-finding? Those are my three favorite spiritual gifts. No, we have to be gracious. And this, this reminds me not to be legalistic and not to be, you know, nitpicky and to just not have to, you know, attack every little point of weakness. 
there was a man named the Duke of Wellington. Uh, he was British military royalty. He was the leader who defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. Wellington was not an easy man to serve under. He was a brilliant tactician. He was demanding. He didn't shower his subordinates with any compliments or any encouragement. At the end of Wellington's life, he realized his methods had been lacking. In his old age, as he was bedridden, a young lady asked him, would you do anything differently if you had a chance to live life over again? Wellington thought for a moment and immediately replied, I'd give more encouragement to others. If we withhold our encouragement and our grace to others, if we miss opportunities to shed mercy into a situation, at the end of our lives, we're going to regret it. We're going to regret the opportunities we had to be merciful to others when we just sat in judgment. Think about that. I've been doing a lot of funerals lately. I've been doing a lot of introspection lately. I've been thinking about the reality that you know what, we're all mortal and none of us make it out of this life alive. And like Wellington laying there in that bed, maybe we should recalibrate and recalculate the way we do some certain things. You know, it costs us nothing to be kind to another person. It costs us nothing to be gracious to another. When someone messes up in front of us, do we need to humiliate them to point out their flaws? If we do... We're like these Pharisees and Sadducees, nitpicky, fault-finding, legalistic, rigid, grace killers. God, help us not to regret when we go to meet you the times where we withheld grace and encouragement from others. Nobody, not everybody was happy with Jesus' help, but there are a lot of people who were inspired to think, if, if, if this man could be healed, so can I. But there was a crowd of people that just didn't celebrate the grace of God. Number four, we're talking about help today. Everybody needs help. Jesus is here to help. Not everybody's going to be happy with the help that Jesus brings. And number four, the person who got help didn't know who helped him. Is that, I mean, is that funny to anybody else besides me? You know, here's this guy, and he's laying there, and someone says, take up, you know, and the guy could, you know, I'm sure he could tell Jesus was bristling with spiritual authority. You know, he, he didn't argue with him. He didn't, you know, make more, you know, uh, you know excuses or die. He just, Jesus said, get up, and the guy got up, and he's like, whoa, that was good. Look at these legs are going here. Hey, take up your bed, all right? I'm going to take up my bed. Now get out of here, and the guy does. But in the long and the short of it is Jesus slips away, and this guy doesn't even know who healed him. Uh, that's a little bit humorous to me. You know, the formerly crippled man doesn't know who healed him. Uh, it reminds me of us in a lot of situations in life when things go right for us, when things get better for us, when we get free of things, when, when blessings come our way. And we, we sometimes act like, well, where did that come from? Or who did that? Or, you know, how did this happen? Or maybe I'm just lucky. Maybe I'm Irish. Maybe I have the luck of the Irish. You know, and we act like, you know, we don't know who helped us. We don't know who healed us. It's amazing. People, we've had prayer, praise, and healing services where people have had cancer. We pray over them. They go to the doctor. The doctor says, I can't find any cancer. And they don't say anything. Hey, how, how you doing with that? Oh, yeah, it's gone. How about a, a testimony? How about a clue? How about a good report? Oh, it's quiet now. 
The person who was helped didn't know who helped them. The person who was healed didn't know who healed them. And we're like that in a lot of ways. Many times in life, we want God, you're not doing anything to help me. When you know what? Behind the scenes, he's moving things around. He's clearing the way for us. He's, he, the devils are trying to attack. He's thwarting the attack. The enemy's plotting you know, for us to be destroyed. And, and, and he's just protecting us. And it's like we're walking through a war zone and everything's getting shot at us and we're not getting hit and we don't even know why. We just think, oh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm lucky today. We should always remember who healed us, who set us free, who broke the chains of addiction, who broke the chains of bondage over life. We should always remember that the cross has broken the power of sin, amen, and that we're sinners saved by grace. <laughs> This guy didn't know who healed him. A lot of Christians are like that. We, we don't know what God's done for us, and we're whining about it. There's been times where I know God protected me. I know God spared me. There's been accidents that I drove through that I know the enemy wanted to take me out, but God delayed me. I forgot something. I went back to get it, and I missed that accident. I pulled up on it. There's been times where... I was walking through the woods and a stick hit me just below my eye and cut me and there was blood coming and I looked up at heaven and I said, I, I know you just protected my eye, Lord. I could feel the presence of God. But then there's many times where we just think, well, you know, I'm just, you know, I got the world by the tail. I'm lucky. God help us to always remember who helped us and who heals us and who sanctifies us and who prepares a way for us who clears the path for us? It's Jesus. Amen. Jesus just slips away without taking credit for his work. You know, Jesus withdraws himself uh, because there was a multitude in that place. So what does he do? He speaks to the man. He speaks healing by powerful words of authority. The man is healed, and Jesus just slips through the crowd. Now, we can learn a lot from Jesus in this because, you know what? He wasn't there to entertain the multitudes, he wasn't there to wow the crowd and hear the accolades of man. He didn't need to heal people like, and hear like at a fireworks show, ooh, ah. It did nothing for him. And the more we are in the spirit and the less we're in the flesh, the less we're going to care about the accolades of men. The less we're going to care to do things so people can see. <laughs> Life is not a performance for the multitudes, Amen. Uh, Jesus could care less if they saw it in this situation. Many times he healed people and said, don't tell anyone. You, you know that. Many times he would heal people in secret place or he put all the crowd out. This time he just heals them. He slips through the crowd. And, you know, the guy doesn't know who helped him, but Jesus wasn't there to, you know, to take all the credit and the praise and the glory, although it was all due him. We could learn a lot. From Jesus in this if we didn't care about the credit and the praise and the glory and the trophy and the attaboy could you imagine what we could get done in the kingdom of God if nobody cared who got the credit for it could you imagine what we could get done in the church of Jesus Christ if we just did what we did unto the Lord and didn't need to take the credit for it and all the people who want the credit are just like I don't like this point move on well, I'll move on when I'm good and ready, but I got some more to say here. 
Jesus withdraws himself from the multitude. He slips through, and, and he, he kind of just maintains secrecy here. And I, I want us to, as we're looking at this point here, I want us to remember something from Matthew 6, and I call it the secrecy principle. Here's why we should do things just for the eyes of God and not care at all about the eyes of men. Matthew 6 three through four. But when you do your charitable deeds, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deeds may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Matthew 6, 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Matthew 6, 17 through 18. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. To your, but your father who sees in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Matthew 6 is the secrecy principle. What we do to be seen in the eyes of men will not be rewarded by God. Our reward comes from men. The reward, oh, aren't you great? Aren't you wonderful? Look at you. Oh, he's such a great, oh, there's your reward. Now, if that's what you want from men, realize men will praise you one day and the next day they'll, they'll, you know, the the same crowd that was Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God, the next, a little while, give us Barabbas. You really want your reward from men? But when God, who sees us do it in secret so that we, don't let people see us and only let him see us while well, he rewards that openly. The secrecy principle encourages us to always allow God to get the glory and to not worry about what men think. Jesus could care less that the multitudes didn't get entertained here. He, he had a divine appointment with this man. He had a, a connection with him. He did what God the Father had purposed him to do, and he slipped away. Number five, the last help we're going to talk about is this. We've seen that not everybody was happy with Jesus' help. The person who was helped didn't even know who helped him. And number five, Jesus had something to say about the help he gave. Now, verses 14 through 15 kind of conclude the miracle here as Jesus catches up with the guy later on. He slips through the crowd, but he still makes an effort to connect with him. We're going to talk about that afterwards. 14 says, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Let's just stop there for a second. So I want you to see something here. Jesus goes through the crowd, has an intimate connection with this guy. Then he slips away, but he takes the time to find him again and make another intimate connection with him. And I want you to understand something. Everything that gets done in our life it's through an intimate connection with Jesus. The church has tried to formalize and spiritualize and ceremonialize things into sacraments and experiences and uh, rituals. And let me tell you something, those rituals do nothing for the soul of men. Unless we have an intimate connection with Jesus Christ, I don't care what they sprinkle on you, what they dunk you in, who slaps you, it's not going to do anything for you unless you are connected to Jesus Christ through a relationship that is the gospel, amen? That's the gospel. The world loves rituals. The world loves ceremonies. Oh, just say something over me, sprinkle me with something, and I, I can go back to living like the devil, and I'll catch up with you when, I, you know, when I've done a bunch of bad stuff again. We'll just erase it together. 
Some of us used to live that way. It's deception. The truth is that nothing happens in our lives without a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're going through your day and you're doing your thing, even if it's not bad, even if it's, you know, just whatever, it's life, and you're not taking the time to connect with Jesus, if you don't pray, if you don't read the word, if you don't sit in his presence and just listen for him to speak to your heart, you are missing the point of life. More and more, the older I get, the more I just want my heart to be tender towards the Lord. You know, it's like somehow, some way, we, we serve Jesus, and after a while, we kind of get, you know, our love for him gets a little cold. The Bible warns us about leaving our first love. And you see this in people's marital relationships. You know, when people first get married, you know, they are so in love. They're engaged. You know, you see them. They're the ones in the crowd. They're just looking at each other like, and all, I mean, cars are screeching around and people are pushing around and they're just like. Fast forward 50 years later, you know, now they don't, you know, they're, they're inconsiderate of each other. They're bickering all the time. You see, they pull into a restaurant, the car door opens up, the man walks out, he's 50 feet ahead, the woman's behind, she's carrying the purse. What happened? What happened? You let your love get cold. You got a little used to each other. You don't appreciate each other anymore. We need to get back to this. You know, we're going to be, soon we're going to be married 30 years. I, you know, I, I've tricked her into loving me and she still loves me. And you and I need to stay in love with Jesus. We need to maintain our intimacy with him. We need to not, you know, and it happens so easily. Oh, you know, Lord, yeah, I know. Pastor, I know all this stuff. I heard this. Yeah, I could preach that sermon. Yeah, well, you're on next week. But anyways, uh, yeah, we know all this, you know, and we get, we get a little cold. We get a little lukewarm. Let's keep that fire alive for Jesus. He's coming back, amen? Let's stay in love with him, amen? He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkles. I'm not even going to touch that. So it's intimacy here. Jesus finds him. He connects with him again. But, but then Jesus puts a warning label on the help that he had given. And I want you to see this. You might think, wow, what, Jesus, this is pretty heavy duty here. You know, uh, you just go up to this guy and, you know, he, he's like, hey, you know, you, I see that you've been uh, healed and, you know, that you've become well. And then he says this, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse will happen to you. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Just because something goes wrong in our life doesn't mean we sinned. Just because we get sick doesn't mean we sinned. You know, simplistic, legalistic, narrow-minded Christians, even evangelical ones will think, oh, well, you got sick. You must have did something bad. Or if I prayed for you and you didn't get healed, it's because you don't have any faith. And nothing could be further from the truth. Sometimes stuff happens in life. Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes, you know, uh, we get attacked by the enemy. And it's not because we sinned at all. Sometimes it's because we've been walking right and tight with the Lord and that put a bullseye on us and the enemy attacked us. My Bible says that Job was a righteous man. He wasn't doing anything wrong. The devil picked him out and said, God, let me, let me touch him. Let me attack him. Let me sift him. He's only, he only loves you because you protect him. And God said, I'll take that bet. And we know what happened with Job. Job didn't sin. His own friend said to him, you must have done something wrong. God doesn't just punish people for nothing. You know, the type of friends he had around him where you'd rather be alone? No, it's not always, oh, well, I did something. And we're like that, man. When something goes wrong in our lives, we're like, oh, what did I do? Huh. 
Now, don't get me wrong. If you're, if you're in sin and if you've been giving yourself license to do it, that's a moment to repent. But it's not always about that. In this guy's case, it was. He had sinned, and Jesus warned him, don't go back to your sin or something worse will come upon you. You know, what, what is Jesus doing? Why is he being like that? He's not doing that out of judgment. He's doing it out of love. He doesn't want this guy to get restuck in what he got stuck in. He doesn't want him, you know, when, when you give yourself over, the Bible says when you yield your members to unrighteousness as instruments of unrighteousness instead of instruments of righteousness, what? We give the enemy leverage. We open up our armor for him to get a hook in us. And when he gets a hook in us, he's going to do what he does. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. So Jesus warning us to not yield ourselves over to sin is not unloving. It's loving because he wants us to stay free. And hear that today. Jesus puts a warning label on his help. You know, many times you help someone help them again. They keep doing the same thing wrong. You help them again. You spend money. You spend time. You begin to help and help and help. And then they don't even appreciate your help anymore. They expect your help. And they expect you to pay. And they expect you to bail them out. And they expect, and all this stuff. And listen, we can't do that to God. Sometimes God will say, well, I guess you got to learn the hard way. I gave you, you know, 59 chances. 60's on you. Today you're going to learn the hard way. Let's be wise and not do that. Jesus puts a warning label on his help. Don't go back to your sin. Repent of it. Change. The Holy Spirit will give us the strength and the power and the wisdom to do that. Sin compromises us and opens us the door up to us. Listen, many times the things that visit our life and attack us and the calamities and the hardships and the trouble and the drama that's in our life is because we've chosen to sin in an area where we have not yielded to the Holy Spirit. This man hears Jesus' words, connects with him relationally. In verse 15, he leaves and he spreads the word. It says he, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, this guy was excited. He shared his testimony. You and I need to share our testimony. If you don't have a testimony, come up to the altar at the end and get saved so God can do something in your life, amen? But, you know, you and I should have a testimony. If we're in Christ, God is doing amazing things in our lives. He's delivered us. He set us free. He's made a way for us. He's made provision for us. Come on, share your testimony. Tell somebody, Tell somebody, look, they can argue with your theology. They can argue with your denomination. They can go with the, you know, what about the pygmies in this place? Or they can, you know, there's always these arguments that they use, but they can't argue with your testimony. So share it. And this guy did. There's things in all of our lives that cripple us. There's things in all of our life that we can't solve ourselves. We need help. God helps those who come to him and ask for help. We don't have to help ourselves. God helps the helpless who are humble enough to cry out for Jesus. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. I pray as we conclude this miracle, Lord, that you would uh, provoke us to be godly people, to walk away from sin, to, to, to cry out to you in the areas where we're stuck and we need help. Jesus, you came to help us. You came to seek and to save that which was lost. Bring restoration to your people today. 
With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity today. If you've never had the opportunity to ask Jesus to come into your life and to be your Savior and Lord, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus rose from the grave, that God raised him up, that God would save us. He made it so simple. Jesus died on the cross, not for himself, but for us. He died in our place. We're all sinners and we all need a savior. If you're here today and you say, well, I I would love Jesus to be my savior. How how does that work? All we do is we acknowledge what he's done. We repent of our sin and we ask him in. It's a simple decision of our will. You say, what will happen if I do that? He'll forgive your sin. He'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. He'll mark you as one of his own, and he'll settle your eternal destiny. We don't get to heaven by good works or a good performance or a good track record. We don't get to heaven by being better than the people around us. God doesn't grade on a curve. We're either lost or we're found. What makes us lost is that we refuse what Jesus did for us on the cross. What makes us found is we accept what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's all about him. If you're here today and you want to be forgiven, you want a clean slate and a fresh start, you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you want the Holy Spirit to fill you and give you the power to live a different life, I want you to raise your hand here today. How many people would say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to be free this morning. God bless you. God bless you. Just keep your hands up. The ushers are going to throw something in your hands. Anyone else? This is the most important part of our service. Praise God. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you a sinner. I confess my sin to you. And I know that you're Savior. So save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the power to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's do what the angels are doing and give God a hand clap of praise this morning. Bless you, Lord. Amen. For those of you who raised your hands, got a package. This talks about serving Jesus, starting a new walk with Christ. Uh, gives you some uh, literature in there from Scripture to just solidify your faith. I want to encourage you this morning to be in church, read the Word every day, pray every day, and listen. God wants to talk to you. He loves you, and you belong to Him from this moment forward.